From the Ron McKeefery Podcast Network, I'm Isaiah Castilleja, and this is Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. In this episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0, Coach Barrett talks to us about how winning multiple national championships as a player helped him establish that standard as a coach, how he evolved as a coach going from a military academy to a STEM school, and how to use social media as a tool and create a digital resume. All this on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0 podcast is brought to you by Play. Listen in on a conversation with Play's Global Director of Performance and Education, Coach Mike Buley. Coach Buley describes the vision of how Play will continue to be the company that will propel the innovation of the strength and conditioning profession forward. Well, after 22 years of, of coaching, I've learned that connection trumps communication and that it's not enough for coaches to know that you care. And I think you got to take that a step further. They need to experience that you care. And I've always been a coach that tried to be more tra uh, transformational than transactional. And so with that awareness in mind too, I always enjoyed working and learning and talking to other people and, and coaches and developing that camaraderie. I've always made myself available to the community because I remember how hard it was too to try to get a crack into this this profession. And uh, I promised myself if ever I was given a shot, I would never take advantage of that. I always allow myself to uh, help other people uh, chase their dreams in this profession. It's been very good to me. Play is a company that will help your strength conditioning program find solutions for all your needs. Review second best and check them out at play.us for more information. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Today, I am joined by Coach Brock Barrent. He is currently the Director of Performance at South Dakota Mines. And prior to this, he was an Assistant Director of Strength Conditioning at the Citadel. And he has also had stops at Central Washington, TCU, and Northwest Missouri State. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Hey, Coach. Appreciate you having me on. Absolutely. Can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your role at South Dakota Mines? Yeah, so right now I am the director of performance. Um, so kind of oversee everything here, um, but mainly responsible for football, women's basketball, and volleyball. Um, so I just have the three sports that I have an assistant, uh, the associate director here, Coach Carl Wise, who has our track teams. Um, he's got men's basketball, and then he's got uh, men's soccer. Um, so, he's, so we kind of have a split up to where – I have, I guess, three of the teams, but I wanted, when I came here, I wanted to be able to bring a good assistant. So I wanted them to have one of the other main teams. Um, at the division two level, you don't always get that. Like you see the head guy always has most of the really good teams. So I wanted to make the position um, attractive, which is why I gave him men's basketball. Um, I don't really have an administrative role. You know, I'm in some of those meetings, but I'm not like an assistant AD or anything like that. Um, 
but it doesn't mean I don't have communication with them on a daily basis. But yeah, so it's more or less the ins and outs of my role here. Definitely. And this is your first director position, correct? Yes. Yes. What What was the biggest, I guess, misconception or the biggest thing learning curve that you had to face going from being an assistant director to being a director? Um, I would say whenever I was at the Citadel as an assistant director, I always saw Donnell going in and out of meetings, uh, going in and out of the weight room for meetings with admin. He does have an, uh, an assistant AD title there, but he had one sport. And I always thought like, you know, you have one sport, uh, you oversee the department, but then you have all its other admin responsibilities. I kind of looked at it as like, that's something that I want to do um, to an extent, but I didn't know that it was going to be to a level more work. Cause as an assistant, I'm like, well, I've got three or four teams, not just one. Um, and then I've also got my other roles in the department that, that, that Donnell gave me, whether it was internship manager, nutrition manager, technology, like I had all these other roles. And I was like, can't be that much different. Um, but in reality it is because now instead of me having conversations with strength staff and strength and sport coaches, now I'm also having to have conversations with decision makers, um, the people that can get stuff done for our department. Um, so that's a little bit different thing that I didn't really see coming into it being a lot different, but it ended up being um, a little bit different task than I thought it was going to. Yeah, definitely. And you've been lucky enough to win two national championships as a player at, at Northwest Missouri uh, state. And I know Joe Quinlan and everybody on that staff and, and they are legitimately a powerhouse on, on every level and they're perennial champions. What did you learn about taking that championship culture as a athlete into how you go about being a coach? Cause I know it's, I mean, we're all working for that. We all want to be national championship. We all want to be at the top, but it's it's a tough, tough task. And, you know, having started your career at a really high level and a really good culture and now worked your way into establish yourself as a coach, like how, what did you learn from it? And what do you try to instill in your athletes about a championship culture? <laughs> I will say the two biggest things there, whether it was being a player or coach, um, one was routine. So making sure that you and your athletes have established routines. Um, and even if you talk to professional level athletes that have long tenured careers, they'll say the people who make it in the NFL, MLB, whatever, are people that have routines. Um, so that was something that was big, was making sure that we're all on some sort of schedule, whether it's in season or off season to make sure that we're in a routine. Um, and then the second thing is uh, everyone talks about standards, but no one really talks about upholding them when it comes to being very successful. Cause you'll even see top programs who have a standard, but that standard doesn't apply to everyone. Um, if your star players late, they may not get the same, you know, punishment as something like some person who rides the bench and it's holding that standard to everybody. If you have a rule that, you know, if you are missing class and that leads to suspension, then that goes for your star player too. 
or if you miss if you miss weights and punishment is missed for everyone else, then you have you can't be afraid to coach or punish your your star player. Uh, and that's something that happens in Northwest. And like we knew, um, I got uh, one thing that always sticks out to me was my the thing was going into like my redshirt freshman or sophomore year. We had a really good running back. Uh, and at Northwest, you know, Division Two, not everybody stays for the summer. Um, but w- with our culture, you pretty much knew that if you didn't stay over the summer, you weren't going to really see much playing time in the following fall. Um, and our starting running back from the year before went home for the summer, didn't stay, and uh, the next year started or the, came back for the fall, and he wasn't our starting running back anymore. Um, and he eventually, I think eventually, like later on in the year, he pretty much took his job back, but it was just something to reinforce our standard. Like you want to win championships, you got to do things our way. Um, and if you don't want to do that, then there are going to be consequences, whether you're our all-conference star player or not. So that was two things that I try to take everywhere that, that I go to try to instill success into our, our athletes. Definitely. And I think that's, a really good takeaway is that championship culture is for everybody. Nobody gets a pass like you. Everybody's held to that standard. And I think, like you said, it's easier said than done, especially if you have one of your star players being a knucklehead and you're like, look, this is the rules and this is how we got there. Yeah, I think it's also important that your your teammates hold other teammates. So your, your peers hold each other accountable because um, that's what – a lot of cultures, successful cultures do too, is it's not everything comes from the top down. Um, you, there's a lot of, of player led, um, I guess, accountability to where if you're having people jump on teammates for being late, instead of having a coach do it, then you, you know, you're probably trending in, in the right direction. Hmm. Uh, I think that, that that's awesome. And being a part of that culture as an athlete, when did it click to you? Like, this is what I want to do. I want to, you know, you learning from Joe Quinlan, who's a great and phenomenal coach, uh, strength coach there. When did it click to you? Like, all right, this is what I want to do, you know, potentially for the rest of my life. This is it. And how'd you go about that? Or, you know, how did it took you from, you know, Missouri to Texas to Washington to the Citadel and all the way back up to right. uh, South yeah. Dakota. So you know, when did it click to you? And and then, you know, how did you, what was your mindset saying like, this is it, man. I was, I did not know I wanted to be a strength coach until my last semester of college. Um, I went into okay. Okay, <laughs> I, nice. like whenever, whenever I was in, in high school, um, like I wasn't a weight room warrior by any means. Like I was a good athlete, but I think before I went to college, I maybe lifted 10 times before I got to college my entire life. Um, and, and then uh, when I was in college, I started to fall in love with the process of working out. Um, but, but that was it. I didn't care much about, you know, taking care of my body or anything like that. So like I saw results, but probably not the, the best results that I could have seen just because I cared about what I was doing in the weight room, but didn't necessarily care about anything else um, that goes into it, like sleep, recovery, things like that. Um, and then, so I also, when I went to college, I wanted to be a business major. I wanted to be somebody who wore a suit every single day to work. Now I do the exact opposite. Um, but, but I started taking business classes and I was like, yeah, that's not for me. Um, so I ended up changing my major to 
physical education was going to be a PE teacher. Um, and then I had to do an internship. They changed something in the PE department to where I would have had to stay in school longer. So then I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to change all, most of my credits will change if I go to um, human performance exercise science. So I went to that and then it was just, okay, I need an internship. So at first I was going to intern with our rec center and just do like a personal training um, internship. And I went to have my interview for that internship. I showed up like probably 20, 30 minutes early sitting outside this guy's door. Uh, and, and then literally like, I was just sitting there like, all right, do something to kill time. Let's go get a drink of water, which is right down the hallway. Um, came back and there was a sign on his door. I said, gone for lunch, be back tomorrow. <laughs> it's like, Oh, okay. Well, yeah, I guess you forgot about the interview. Um, so, so on my way back out to the car, like just in panic mode, I texted Joe Q and I was like, Hey, do you have any internship spots? open for the semester and he goes yeah what took you so long to ask <laughs> because this was literally like it was like it was like at the deadline of uh, like internship submissions i was like honestly like i don't know what i wanted to do and then from day one i'm seeing how things were on the coaching side i knew that this is what i wanted to do for forever um so yeah that's kind of my story of how i got into strength and conditioning but just day one of working with you know being a football athlete that's all i knew was football workouts but being there for for day one seeing his you know pre-lift staff meetings and then seeing different teams work out. Um, that's kind of what made me fall in love with it. And that's what I, that's what I knew that I wanted to be in it long-term. Definitely. No, I think that that's a great story. And, uh, there's uh, quite a few changes. <laughs> I, I haven't talked to many people that went from business to PE teaching to right. rec center work and then, and then into strength and conditioning. Yeah. But again, I guess that's a good thing. Cause you know, it, it, changed uh you know your whole outlook on on what you're going to do now what did you learn at the citadel anybody who's anybody knows you know with between joe quinlan and don Boucher, those are some pretty high level mentors that you got there you know what did you learn there you know considering that the citadel is a, a service academy you know and they you know got the military and I mean, I, I've talked to coaches. I just know how hard it is to get, you know, athletes there that are willing to commit to commit to the military, but you know, they got a, a great culture and a great weight room culture and everything they built out there. Um, you know, what was the, your biggest takeaway from your time at the Citadel? Um, I'll, there's two major takeaways that I took. Um, one of them was staff development. Donnell does a phenomenal job with his staff and coaching up his assistants um, to be set up for success, whether it's at the Citadel or in the future. Um, he makes sure he makes sure that everyone's on the same page. He gives everyone different responsibilities. That's not exclusive um, to the X's and O's of strength and conditioning. That way you get experience with nutrition management or technology or uh, we have two. So we have interns and then we also had, uh, what we call cadet managers, which are non-athlete students that would that would come clean the weight room for us at night. Um, and basically the trade-off was you got to work out in the athletics weight room instead of the rec center on campus. Uh, and then and then also like if you're not doing stuff throughout the day, you do have some sort of brief gap of time. You could come hang out, talk programming, we'll program for you if you want, if you want us to like um, 
So we had, we had those, we had different people overseeing both of those. Um, so you're doing the scheduling and all that kind of stuff for our the curriculum for our interns. And so you get that sort of experience. But then the other thing there is again, culture related. Um, and it's investing in your athletes. Um, and the reason why that's important is I really, like I, I've heard people talk about it, but never really saw it firsthand. And that is people don't, your athletes don't invest into the X's and O's of strength and conditioning. And they don't buy into that. They buy into the people that do the programming of the X's and O's. They buy into the coaches. They buy into the culture. They don't buy into the squats or the deadlifts or anything like that. Obviously it helps them improve in their sports. So they like it, but they're going to invest into the people. And you can have the best program in the world as far as X's and O's go. But if your athletes aren't bought into you as a coach and they're not bought into that program, then it's not really going to matter because they're not going to give you that intent that you, that you want. They're not going to give you their best effort every time they're in the weight room. And that's something that you see at the Citadel because Donnell does a great job of trying to facilitate relationships and drive those relationships between the staff members and the athletes. So they're all bought in, even though like the Citadel doesn't have a great track record of success. Like they've won champ, like they've won conference championships, but they're not, they're not perennial powerhouses. Um, but you never have issues with kids either because they're bought into their program. They're bought into the coaches. So that's, so those are a couple of things I took away from this though. Absolutely. And you went from the Citadel to South Dakota mines. What was the first thing on your agenda trying to establish the culture and what you were about, uh, you know, going from D one, you know, back to D two and, I've I've been to South Dakota mines. I've seen you guys weight room. It was it was a while ago. So you got a lot of good things going on and and being built in there. But what was the what was your first I guess mindset on what you wanted to establish there? Uh, there there's two things. One was eliminate the stigma of us because my cause my assistant is also came with me from the Citadel, um, and so I've known the head football coach here. So backtrack the head football coach here now um was the guy that recruited me to play at northwest missouri state so i've known him for eight nine years um so i knew that the team knew that carl and i were coming from a military academy and i i wanted to eliminate the stigma that we were drill sergeants um because that's not at all what was coming into it but i knew or had a feeling that the athletes were going to think that that's what they were going to about to get themselves into um so i kind of wanted to eliminate that stigma by not being so uptight <laughs> uh, when you came in on day one. Um, but the other thing that we really wanted to do was develop that standard. And that was something that, that was something that happened within two or three days. Cause you can't like, it's hard to develop a standard somewhere when you don't know what the previous standard was. Uh, and, and, and part of it is meeting your athletes where they're at. So uh, like if you read, uh, five dysfunctions of a, of a team, uh, Patrick Lencioni. It's about like flipping, flipping that business from one that's about to fail into a success. And the person that they bring in for that doesn't come in on day one and make all these changes. They observe for a little while and then they start to gradually make changes. So Carl and I's plan was for the first couple of days, just come in, observe, see how they operate. Like, we'll 
you know, we'll have our roadmap out. We'll, we'll program everything, but we just want to kind of see how everything was operating. And then we made changes from there uh, as far as implementing our standard. And two of the main things that we saw. So here we're a STEM school. So a lot, lot of really smart kids, um, but they kind of want to stay in their own lane. And what I mean by that is we were our first, it was still obviously pandemic. Um, so we were outside with the football team was our, they were the only team on campus when we got here in August. So we were outside and after the first session, there's probably about 40 guys or so, um, right for the first day that we had to have two different groups, we looked at each other and we were like, man, these kids work really hard, but they did not say one word to each other the entire time. We were out here for an hour and 15 minutes with two separate groups and you could hear a pin drop. Um, and, I, and, and, it, and it wasn't because it's two new coaches leading. They just head down, do your work, get out of here. Um, and we're like, okay, that's, that's something we need to change. Um, I'm not saying that's bad because you're, you're still working, but if you want to be successful as a team, you have to act like one and great teams communicate with one another. Um, so that's something that we tried to facilitate. And now it's fine. That's where we want it to be. Um, but that was, that was one thing that, was was definitely a head turner for us. I've never seen that anywhere else that I've been. Um, and the second thing was, I guess, ties on ties into leave a place better than you found it. Um, it just seemed like there wasn't a standard of when we did finally get into the weight room. Um, it was, I guess, still voluntary, so we couldn't like actually be coaching uh, on the floor. So we just had open hours, drop in times for different teams, and a team would finish their lift they'd leave and we'd go make sure that the room was right. And it was a disaster, um, for every single, after every single group, like after the, the first two groups, we kind of left it because we wanted to see, okay, is it just these group of kids or these teams or is it everybody? And after day one and day two, it was every single team that came in, like it, it was just, they, they didn't leave the place how they found it, but we left it worst. Um, so after, after day two, Carl and I were like, okay, when you walk in, this is what the weight room looks like. It's also what it looks like when you leave. Um, so those were the two things that are a couple of things that we wanted to do right away when we got here. We'll be right back. The GymWire Power Tool is the gold standard for measuring performance and implementing velocity-based training. The question isn't what does GymWire do, but what it doesn't do. You can perform velocity zones, jump testing, athlete profiling, predictive 1RM analysis, live leaderboards, asymmetry resting, fatigue monitoring, and so much more. Because of the versatility the system offers, coaches can rest assured they're getting the real value for their money. They are the gold standard for velocity-based training with an interface that is easy to follow and a team at GymAware that are always top-notch with their customers. For more information, head to the website gymaware.com or contact the gymware team directly. Hmm. Yeah, that, that's it. That's important. And I, I guess I, I haven't watched you go from the Citadel to uh, South Dakota mines. I get, I, I didn't realize like you guys came in right in the middle of mm -hmm. Of, of the pandemic and I was, I was, yep. I was, I was realizing you were going through the same stuff, but that's <laughs> tough when your first workouts, like you're going to be outside and it's only with football and everybody else right. is just, 
is open hours. I, I, yep. That's a testament to you and, and coach wise being able to be like, all right, like we're going to work with as much as we can with what we got and then right. try to establish that culture. Now, what was it like? I know you, you knew Carl from before, but you know, mm-hmm. you did have an opportunity to bring in an assistant. What did you typically look for in an assistant? And when you, when you, found out like, all right, Hey, I got a shot to bring in somebody I want. What's that somebody look like for you? So I'm, I'm asking for more like uh, if we have young coaches on here looking to get a job and what are the head guys looking for or head women, what are they looking for right now in, in young assistants? So I will say I, I can talk on this because Carl was my first option as someone to bring on, but he was also my last option because like whenever I, I kind of knew that this was going to be a thing, and I was going to get this job. Like in the interview process, I just had a feeling because of my connection at the school that I was probably going to get it. So Carl was the first person I asked, like almost like in a joke manner, but I was like, Hey, if I get this job, you, you, you're going to move to South Dakota with me. And he goes, nah, man, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I mean, <laughs> I mean it, it's, it's, it's like, it's hard to leave the beach for, you know, the, the black yeah. for South Dakota. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. so, so, so then I started going through my head up like, okay, who do I know that would make a great assistant? Or, uh, when I get resumes, what am I going to look for? Um, one is, is hiring good people and you can't tell if you're a good person or not by a resume. So you have to get somebody on the phone or have previous interactions with them to know if they're truly a good person or not, because athletics is a people driven business. Typically, the departments that succeed have are filled with good people. Um, so that's one thing that I definitely look for. Um, something else that I look for is, again, you, you can't really tell this from a resume, but I want to hire somebody who is different than me. Like I know what I know what my strengths are. I know what my weaknesses are. I want to bring somebody in that's good at my weaknesses. Um, and I, I don't think as an assistant or as a strength coach in general, I don't want to use the term specialize because then you're just casting this bucket. Like you can only do technology or you can, or, uh, or whatever it may be, or you can only do GPS. You can only do VBT. So I don't think specializing is, is the right word, but I think you have to start to develop like a, a niche where maybe that's one of your strong, like strong suits or one of your big strengths to where, especially if you're looking to get into like power five football and it's all up departmentalized and they're looking for those people with those strong niches. Um, I think it's important to try to develop those. Uh, and like, for me, I know that I'm good with technology. So bringing in somebody else that's good with technology isn't really like super important to me. Cause I know that I can teach them what I know about it. Um, and I know that I'm good at, I'm good at programming like the X's and O's strength and conditioning. I know I'm good at that. So if I do bring in somebody that's also good at programming. I want them to be really good at stuff or programs that I am not as well versed on. Um, that way they can teach, teach me that. But what I've, but at the end of the day, what I know that I am not great at is the more like sports science down to like, uh, like biomechanic. I, I don't do a lot of like biomechanics, kinetic, like research. Um, like I, I know the base level of it. I know what, you know, what obviously what they teach you at school. Um, 
and I know I can look at a sport and see what movements they're doing. And I can try to replicate that and training, but reading those types of articles or reading those types of books that are more like textbooky when you read them, that's not something that I want to, that I, that interests me. Um, there, there's been, since I've been a coach, I think there's been like one or two books that are more like about biomechanics that I've actually been interested in. Um, but like the articles, stuff like that, not a huge interest to me, but that's big. But like Carl is great at that. He loves diving into the research and sports science side of things. And I can, and what he does, like what he's great at is he takes what he learns and he puts it into action. And if he likes it, it sticks around. If, if not, then, you know, at least he learned something and he tried and he could take it to other schools, maybe it'll work there. Um, but I can watch him do that stuff. He can tell me what he learned. And now I'm becoming a little bit more well-versed in things that maybe I wouldn't have learned if it's just me and another clone of me sitting in this office. Um, so so I, I think that's definitely important. And I, and I also want somebody who you could kind of get a feel for in an interview process. And I want somebody who... Is going to who wants to come in and wants to almost operate on their own in a sense to where they're not going to be afraid if they have to leave the room. Like, say I'm sick or something, I want somebody who's not going to be afraid to leave this weight room and do it in a, in a good manner. I don't want somebody who wants me, you know, standing over their shoulder and watching everything that they do. Um, because I, I was listening to, or I'm doing this, uh, that Strength Coach Network Foundations. Um, education course. And Nick DeMarco was talking about mental models. And there was a couple of things in there that, that stood out to me. And one of them was um, great leaders are great decision makers. And that quote just kind of hit with me because you're not really born being a good decision maker. That's learned and it's learned through trial and error. Um, obviously you can replicate it like how you guys do with your internship program, like what you guys were just doing where you know, they write their program and then they have those cards that they got to choose different scenario. You can replicate it, but even that, that replication is a little bit different than when you're in the fire and it actually happens in real time. Um, but you need practice at the, at making decisions to become a good decision maker. So I don't want to bring in somebody who's afraid to make their own decisions or wants to be, I guess, for lack of better terms, babysat the entire time they're here. I want you to be able to, to go operate on your, by yourself. I want you to make your own decisions, learn from them. Um, and yeah, just gotta op- be able to operate on, on your own and make your own, just dis- make your own mistakes. Uh, absolutely. It's, uh, some good qualities you're looking for. And, and honestly, that's what I would look for. And I, and I know talking to a lot of other coaches is just be a good person, fit well with who we are. And then be, a, I don't want to babysit you. That's right. <laughs> as an assistant, that's the last thing I want to look for. And all my yep. assistants is like, I'm, exactly. I'm not going to babysit you. Like you're grown, go handle your business. Mm-hmm. And, and then let's go for it. Now, yep. how do you go about making sure you and Carl continue to grow? Cause I, I know you got staff development and stuff, but you know, my assistant's been with me almost three years. So he's kind of already seen the, admin side and, and you know he's always I, I forced technology on on him and that stuff but you know, what if you know carl's a high high operating coach and and so are you so what do you what are you doing to make sure you guys are both growing or make sure that carl's still growing because you've known him for a while and you you're going through all that yep so the biggest thing that i want to see and carl from growth 
because because our office is set up to where I'm here, he's over there, like facing sideways. So like I can see what he's doing if I if I want to. Like I'm not there like looking at his computer screen all day. But if I wanted to see what he's doing, I can make sure he's not wasting his time. And and Carl is constantly researching stuff like all the time. So I know he's learning. So I know that he's taking his time to dive into literature and and continually educate himself. So what I want to see from Carl is that that's not useless knowledge. I want to see him apply what he's doing. Uh, and all of our programming is done through Team Builder. So, I mean, I can, I can go through and look at his programs and I want to make sure I'm seeing continued growth in his program and I want to see experimentation. Um, so I want, I want to see stuff that's not just constantly being recycled. Um, if he's trying to learn about, you know, ground con- or uh, ground contact times and how it applies to different sports, whether it's his sprinters or whoever it is. I want to see that he's taking that, what he's trying to learn in that literature and apply it in his programming for those sports. Um, so that's something that I want to see from him. It, or, and, that he, and that he does. That's something that how I kind of gauge him just on his continuing education. I, and I think that's important um, as far as useless knowledge. Like you can read all the books and you want, but if you don't apply it, then what did you actually, what did you actually learn? That's useful. Um, so, so that's big, big for him. And, and I think if you had, do have a new staff, I think it's important to do like staff continuing education, but I also think it's important that you're doing stuff on your own too. Uh, Cause at the end of the day, people don't learn the same. So if you have a, a staff of seven people, like you have three, four full times, a GA and some interns, you may do, some sort of continuing education for a staff, but not everyone's going to take the same thing away from it because people learn differently. Um, so I want you, I want to also see you like what if we're doing something as a staff, I want you to also go learn something in, in your way. So like if we're going to watch a webinar and that's not really how you learn, you'd rather read a book than in, in your spare time. I want to see you reading a book. Um, and, and learning styles aren't the things in, in my opinion, I'm very strongly opinionated on learning styles um because you're you're i think it's a flaw in the education system of the vark the v-a-r-k learning style so visual auditory um reading writing kinetic like i think it's great that you have classifications i think it's really poor that you're telling eight or ten year olds when you're taking these assessments that you're a visual learner that's the only way you're going to learn for the rest of your life um, just because it's a lot of missed opportunity for learning when you're telling this young kid, this is how you learn. Um, when in reality, you can be multiple, if not all of those things, as long as you're doing it in your own way. Like I can listen to a podcast and take notes at the same time and I'll learn, or I can watch it. I can watch something and I'll learn. Um, if, or like kinetic, like if I'm actually doing something, I'm going to learn it. So I have multiple of those, but in school, they wanted to tell me, no, you're just a visual learner where maybe when I was growing up, you just have that stigma um, and it kind of limits your opportunities to learn because you, you're someone might be like, Hey, listen to this podcast. And you're just like, no, I don't learn that way. Like, well then you're missing out on, on a potential, you know, learning experience. So. No, I think that, that that's all. It's good that you're able to pay attention to the, the learning styles, be like, look, whatever, try everything see which one works right. and then whatever one you tend to gravitate to or whatever all four or three you gravitate to mm-hmm. let's find a way to help you out and, and keep them yep. keep them learning i think that's that's some uh, a good way of going about that 
what's some advice that you'd give to the younger coach and, and not so much younger in age, but I'm talking about younger and in, in their, in the profession, they maybe are an intern or just got done interning or a GA, you know, they're in the, the grind of what we do and they're in the, the tough part of what we do. Uh, what's some advice that you'd, you'd give them as they work their way up the, the ladder? Use social media to your advantage. Um, I think, I think in this day and age, if you're not utilizing social media as a tool and you're trying to climb the ladder, then I think you're missing out because now I social media is, is pretty much like a digital resume um, where I know that the, like when I, hiring here and whenever I was part of the hiring process at Citadel, like whenever we were trying to bring on new assistants, the first thing we would do is go on their social medias and look and see if we can be able to see them coaching. Um, and I'm sure there's a lot of other staff that, that do the same thing. So you making sure that you're utilizing it properly, um, is something that I think needs to be done. And that's something that like that's worked into our internship curriculum is, um, different social media tasks. So, so I think, I think that's super important. And if, and if you can't separate your life, um, <laughs> social media from your coaching one, then make separate ones, make your, make your life, make your life one private, have your coaching one public and, and go about it that way. Um, but so I think that's important. And then making sure that you bring value, um, to your organization. So may, if you're an intern, uh, I guess there's two other things. Um, so if you're one, if you're an intern or if you're a, a GA or low level assistant, make the people that are above you make their life easier. Um, so if you know that there's stuff that needs that is on, you know, an assistant's plate or the head guy's plate that you have, you have time not doing anything and you know, you can do it, go do it. They'll be grateful for it. They'll remember it. Um, and that'll make you stand out in their head. Um, whenever someone calls for a recommendation or whatever it might be. Um, so, so making yourself valuable is big. And then I think I heard this from, I think it was maybe Stephanie Bach, um, but it was uh, act for the job you want. So carry yourself for the job you want. So if you're a GA and you want a full-time assistant, then carry yourself and act like a full-time assistant. Don't act like a GA. Or if you're an intern and you want to be a GA or a full-time assistant, then act this one. Don't don't act as an intern. Um, and the higher that you go, that you have to put more on your plate and act, if you want to act and do that. But it also helps in your transition. Like if you're if you're a full time assistant, you want to be a head, uh, you want to be a head strength coach, and you've been acting and carrying yourself like a head strength coach for two years. That transition is going to be a little bit easier than when you then instead when you get your full your your first full time head strength coach job, and then you're like, wow, I did not expect any of this stuff to come. Um, so so I think that's pretty important, and that was something I took away from Stephanie Bach. I think she may have said it on this podcast. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, we've had her before, and, and it's. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's all real good, and I think you you might you might have been the first coach to actually say use social media as a tool. And I mean, it is it's it's true, and I I know I try to do my best as on on social media, and even with my uh, when I went back and got my MBA, I I focus on digital marketing and all that stuff. I was like, just, you got, why don't we use it? It's a tool. I know. Some some people might not agree with it, but I was like, look, whether you like it or not, you're on Twitter and you're on Instagram looking to see what other people are doing. like. There's just no way around it. So might as well use it for good. 
Yeah. And as, as long as you're, this is something that Donnell always talks about as, as long as you are good at filtering what's good and what's bad for social media, then other than the attention that it's taking from you, that is pretty much just a positive thing. If, if you're using it correctly, obviously if you're looking at your screen all day, that has, that's a negative impact. But as long as like, if there are people on your feed that are affecting you negatively, unfollow them, block them, do what you have to do. But you can set your social media up for yourself. Like that's what it's for. So you can, you can follow the people that you like to see it. You can just see their content. Obviously you'll see what they retweet and it may, and that'll have an effect. But for the, for the most part, you can filter in and out what you want to see, what you don't want to see. So as long as you set yourself up for success and, and that standpoint, then I think it's a very helpful tool. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, Instagram. I t- <laughs> yeah. tend to be around Instagram. I know Twitter. If I tend to venture into Twitter, I see a lot of the the strength coach battles, and I sometimes right. I'll get popcorn and just like see what's going on. <laughs> Other times I'm like, all right, yeah. got to get off of here because this is uh, right. I'm getting a little little a little too heated. Uh, but I think yeah. that's great. I, and I always I tell my interns that we have even a section in our internship, like you know you know, we're looking at, I know I look at everybody who applies to anything I got going on. I'm looking at your social media, make sure it's exactly what you want. And same thing. Like if you, if you really don't want to censor yourself, just put yourself on private. And if you want to create that, like you said, a digital resume, then create a coach account and and go for it. So no, I, I think that's some really good advice. Now, if you could pick up the phone and call Brock Barron from five years ago, what would you tell them? Um, that's a really good question. I should have known that because you asked that to everybody. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say network or try to network with more people. Um, I was very limited into who I wanted to network with. I mean, five years ago is right when I was starting to become a strength coach pretty much. Um, and I've always been big on social media as far as not, not necessarily from networking. I wasn't big in the networking on social media until I went to TCU. Um, Zach Dakin, Zach Dakin was big on trying to get you to network with people. Like we had an assignment that was call or was either call, uh, email or hit up on social media. Um, like a bunch of different strength, like three or five strength coaches, uh, trying to get them on the phone and have an interview for them, ask them five to six, seven questions. Um, and that's something that I wish I would have known a little bit earlier, but it's also, if you know that you want, like say your head, your end goal is a power five, like you want to be a head power five football strength coach, then you need to set your network up to reflect that. Um, if, if you know, at the end of the day, that that's where you want to go, then you need to network with those type of people. Um, cause I mean, power five is, is very largely who, you know, um, and, and even if they don't know you from a personal level, but they know you on social media, you've, you know, you, you've been in their DMS, you know, saying, Hey, awesome stuff. Uh, love to pick your brain on it, whatever whatever it may be, but whenever it comes time for a job and if they, if it is open and they're looking at people and your resume comes up on their desk and it's like, okay, I, I, I recognize this name for social media. Maybe he's a candidate. Maybe she's a candidate. Um, 
So I think setting your network up for the job that you want is important. I'm not saying there's right and wrong people to network with, but if you're head, if you want to be a, you know, FBS football strength coach and you're networking with, you know, lower level strength coaches who don't have any connections to the power five or FBS level, then that network's probably not going to get you to where you want to go. So I think setting up your network for what you want to end up doing is important. Absolutely. It's, it's a, a lot about who we know and that it, it, it's nuts. I try to let my interns know, I like, you know, get your masters, get your bachelors. That's just what you need in the CSCS or the SCCC. But I was like, you have to be able to, know people in this business because like you said earlier it's a it's a people business and and the more people know you the the easier it is for you to navigate the waters so what's next for coach barrett what are you looking forward to in this next year over there in rapid city uh i would say just continuing to develop as a program um i think one thing that you, you hear a lot recently if you're and like the Nick DeMarco care went on flat camps is you don't want to be a strength coach that has uh, 10 years worth of experience once or one year worth of 10 ex- or t- one year of experience, 10 times. Like you want to be continually evolving as a coach. So, so that's something that I'm looking forward to is just continual involvement um, and, and just trying to help our, our athletes here succeed. Awesome. And yeah, you you we were talking about your social media. Do you have a uh, social media you want to give a shout out? So uh, our listeners can tune into what you got going on up there. And then also what's the best way to reach out to you for follow-up questions or if anybody wants to touch base with you. Yep. So Instagram is just my name, Brock Barrett. And then Twitter is coach Barrett. Um, you can hit me up on either. I'm more active on Instagram. Um, and then if you want, probably the best way to reach me would be email, um, or Instagram DMS, honestly, but probably email, um, which you can just find on our school's website. Definitely. No, coach, I wanted to say, you know, thank you for coming on the podcast. You, you doing a really good thing up there at South Dakota mines and it, it's been fun. And, you know, you and I are in the, in the same conference, but it's, I was excited when I saw you come in here. I I knew you were going to bring, you know, a, a a good level to what we're what we're doing here in the conference. And you know, I, once it's looking like we're turning the corner here, but once everything's done, we'll go up there. And like I said, I, I've been up to your place a couple of times and and spoken at a a few NSCA clinics. And then like I'm always we're always talking with EJ and everybody just not too far south of you. Um, but yeah, well, we'll go touch base. And I want to say thank you. You got you brought a lot of great information. I think that our listeners could you know tap into you and help them build their programs wherever they're at. Awesome, man. I appreciate you having me on. It's honestly surreal. Like the original Iron Game Chalk Talk with Rama Keefe, the first podcast transition advice I'd ever listened to in my life. So it was, it was an I love I love what you've done with it. Make it your own. Put your own twist on it. So I really do appreciate you having me on. For sure, Coach. Appreciate it. I'll talk to you soon. Yep. We'll see you. Thank you. Team Builder is the premier strength and conditioning app for teams and private facilities. Used by more than 2,500 organizations around the world, performance coaches can write training programs online for athletes to access on their mobile app or on tablets in the weight room. You can even print individualized workout cards of your programs directly from their systems. Right now, when you start a 14-day trial, use promo code CHALK, that is promo code C-H-A-L-K, 
to access more than 70 strength and conditioning programs directly in your Team Builder account, including four sports science questionnaire templates. Today, coaches from around the country use Team Builder's built-in questionnaire module to create COVID-19 pre-screening questionnaires sent to athletes daily. We've been using Team Builder at MSU Denver for several years now and cannot recommend them enough. Hewitt and his staff go above and beyond to help create an outstanding user experience for all the teams they work with. I have yet to run into a type of periodization or programming format that the staff at Team Builder cannot tackle and create. From asking around, it is clear more college and high school strength coaches use Team Builder more than any other training program available. Go to teambuilder.com and check them out. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank you to our great guests for taking the time to share their experiences. Thank you to Play and Team Builder for being great companies that help our profession. And most importantly, thank you, the listeners. Please find us on social media at Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0. Find our show notes on wherever you listen to your podcast. Leave us a rating, comment, and subscribe. And don't forget to say hi. It's great to hear from coaches from around the country. Talk to you all next week on another episode of Iron Game Chalk Talk 2.0.